All right, well, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We are continuing our study, This is the Way. And you remember that I got that phrase from Mandalorian, right? And uh, that phrase is a phrase that they use in the movie to demonstrate their belief system. This is the way. This is the Mandalorian way. This is the way that a person is supposed to live his life. This is the way a Mandalore, uh, uh, Mandalorian lives the, their, their life and what they believe. And I was thinking about Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So as believers, we should be living the way. This is the way Jesus tells us, and we need to live that way. Now, it's interesting because if you look at where we have been before in our passages, when we were talking about John the Baptist, we were talking about the fact that in our first message, the application was we need to anticipate the way, or we need to expect, to live with expectancy of seeing God's hand at work, to live with expectancy of, of Jesus coming back, of his return. And that's what John the Baptist did when he first came. He came to prepare the hearts. We find this in Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. It says, uh, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And that, that, that really grabbed my thinking. I thought, am I ready? Am I a people prepared? And you think, well, wait a minute. This was just for John the Baptist and that first century crowd, right? Well, not exactly because Luke includes John here first for the same reason that he came in the first century. He brought him here first for every reader of this gospel. So his purpose, John's purpose, is to prepare our hearts too. And I think, well, how does my heart need to be prepared? Isn't it prepared? You know, I love Jesus and I accepted Christ as my Savior back in 72. <coughs> 1972, that is. And, uh, and so I think about that and I think, you know, so how does my heart further need to be prepared? Well, and I ask myself the question, am I expecting Jesus? Am I expecting to see his hand at work? And you think, well, where would that say that? Well, it's uh, uh, in our passage that we'll be looking at today uh, in, in Luke 1, verse 66. They were asking, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And I thought, okay, so how did they know the hand of the Lord? They were looking for it. I think so many times we miss the hand of the Lord because we're not looking for it. We're not looking for him to work. And so he works and we miss it. Maybe somebody else sees it, but we miss it. And I think part of the reason that we miss his hand is because we don't choose him. We don't choose his way. And we see that, we saw that last week with, with Mary, where she chose his way. It says in verse 38 of chapter 1, let it be. I can't hear that phrase without thinking about the Beatles, but uh, sorry. It was in the scriptures first. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be. She accepted what God wanted for her. And, and we see that her belief in verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so there's this idea of, of that we anticipate his way, but then we choose his way. But here's the thing that I was thinking this week as I was looking at this passage. I was thinking... We choose his way, we choose him, and we say, oh yeah, that's the right way. But I'm not going to follow it because it's kind of boring or it's hard and it, uh, or it's you know, not fun. And, and so I, I don't want to do that. 
And so we don't choose to live his way. And yet that's exactly what Zechariah challenges today. And I think that's the challenge for us right now, for every one of us, to do what he says in verse 74 in the midst of his song that he wrote. That we, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. I think that's the message for us today, that we might serve him, that we would look forward to what he's going to do, look for his hand at work, and then we would choose his way and choose to believe, and then we would choose to actually act on that knowledge and live according as the way that he would have us to live. I think that's where Luke is going with this. I think that's when we're thinking about this passage, we need today think about, am I serving him? What's holding me back? Well, I can tell you what's holding us back. To move forward would mean to change, and we hate change. It causes stress in our lives, and so we don't want to do it. We don't like change. Simply that. It's a simple thing, but we fight it. We resist it at every chance we get. And it's happened ever since the beginning. We see Moses and the children of Israel. He gets them out of Egypt. Man, they're in the desert. They're moving toward the promised land. I mean, great things ahead, right? And what are they saying? Man, we had it better back in Egypt. (laughs) Right? And so you realize they were fighting change. They were fighting the newness and the, and the things that God was doing. We see Israel going to Babylon, and what do they do? They, they hate it. Some of them are still in the land. Some of them are in, in, uh, in Babylon, and the temple's torn down. And, and you see all this stuff going on in the, in the scriptures. And yet, God even used that because there were some wise men. We usually think there were three of them. Because of the three gifts, there may have been more. How did they know that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem? Because long ago, Israel had been deported to Babylon. And they left the scriptures there. And those wise men had read the Hebrew scriptures. And when they saw the star in the sky, which is supposed to happen tomorrow, right? Again, uh, they talk, call it the Christmas star, the Jesus star, whatever you want, they call it, the alignment of two planets. I don't think that's probably it, uh, but, uh, but it'll be interesting if you get out tomorrow and be able to see it. But how did they know about that? Balaam's prophecy in Numbers talks about that a star and a, and a king would be born in, in Judea. So he knew, they knew king of the Jews, star, and they went and they found Jesus based on Balaam's prophecy. And yet they didn't like that change. They didn't like being, and what did they do? They wanted to go back, and they wanted to come back. And whenever they rebuilt the temple, there were some weeping because it wasn't the same. And I was thinking, yeah, well, you know, those people, all those people long ago, they were, you know, just, you know, they were sick. They needed the Lord, right? But us, we don't need that. What is the thing that we're saying this year? I can't wait till 2020 to be over so that things can get back to, we're saying the same thing. We're saying, I hate change. I don't want what we have now. I don't want change to to have occurred. And I want it just back to what it was. You know, Ecclesiastes 7, 10, you know what it says? 
He says, do not say that the former times were better than these. It is not from wisdom that you say this. Because what is normal going to be like in 2021? Well, I know that for the Moses and the children of Israel, normal was not the same. I know for the children of Israel and Babylon, normal was not the same. Even when they went back and rebuilt the temple, it was not the same. I know after 9-11, normal was not the same. All of a sudden, now you go into a big event and you got to check your bags and people have to look through them and you have to go through airports with, with uh, all sorts of stuff that they're checking to make sure that you're, that you're safe and that you're okay to be on that plane. And normal was never the same and it never is the same. That's why it's not wise for us to say, oh, I can't wait till things get back to normal. It may never be normal. What are we going to have going forward? I have no idea. Nobody does, right? But there are going to be effects. I guarantee you that it's not going to be the same. And it's not wise for us to say, go back to normal. In fact, there are some people today in China that are excited to wear masks. We got 50-50 in our, our, our society, right? People mad at masks, people wearing masks. In China, believers in China excited about wearing masks. Why? Because facial recognition technology cannot pinpoint them when they're sharing the gospel with their friend in an open public forum. And they're excited about it. And I think maybe we've got the wrong perspective Maybe we need to be looking at 2021 going, Lord, help me as I go into 2021 to take advantage of the new normal. Because things change. They're not the same. And yet there's opportunity there. Same opportunity existed whenever the railways were, were, were stretched across the United States. Before that, it took six to eight months hard travel with, with, uh, in a covered wagon. You couldn't take all your stuff to where you could go across the United States in a week. I mean, it changed things. People that knew that once you moved to California or wherever, you were never going to be seen again by your family for the rest of your life, now could get on a train and in a week they could see you. And it's just the world's gotten smaller and smaller since. And yet there were train guys who took advantage of the situation. They became wealthy beyond measure because they were... Uh, 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 operating with the new normal, with trains. And now, that, now people in, in the East Coast could sell stuff on the West Coast. They could never do that before. It changed everything. And those with eyes to see it as opportunity changed the way that they lived. And I think that when we're looking forward at what God is doing in our world, God is doing something. We need to recognize this wasn't just a horrible year. Yeah, it was. There's a lot of pain. I can guarantee you, with Zechariah and Elizabeth, there was pain. What was the pain that they went through? The pain they went through was, one, they were beyond childbearing years, and now they had a toddler. Just saying. You know, wonderful gift. But when you're older and you've got a kid, it's a lot different than whenever you're younger and you have a kid. They also knew that their son, who was going to be born, who was... Remember, it gave the lineage, and we talked about that line of Zechariah was the line of Aaron, priestly class. You have the Levites, and then not all Levites were priests, but Aaron was a Levite, and everyone who was of the line of Aaron was a priest. 
And according to Zechariah's side of the family, according to Elizabeth's side, priest. So here's a kid that has priest written all over him, right? And what does he end up doing in his life? He attacks the religious establishment, which means the priests. So here's mom and dad giving birth, to this, and, and he's in ministry. They're giving birth to a kid who's going to attack the very ministry that he's a part of. You see where that's going? And then he ends up being beheaded. And then Jesus' family, uh, uh, mom is, is, is pregnant, unmarried, and the difficulties there. There was great pain in that. So 2020, great pain? Yes. Hand of God working? Yes. What is he doing? I don't have a clue. <laughs> I wish I did. I could write volumes and sell books on that. All I know is, is I need to walk today in his strength. And then tomorrow, take that next step in his strength. I need to keep my eyes focused upon him. It says the eyes of the Lord uh, go to and fro throughout the earth, looking for someone whose heart is completely devoted to him. His glance, I hope, meets our gaze. That we're so focused on him that we're anticipating his hand at work. We should be the most hopeful people on the planet, and we look forward to 2021. Why? Because it's a new start, a new day, and we want that new day. And yet it may be hard. There may be some hardness in it. But one of the things that I love about Luke 1 and 2 is there's great joy in these chapters. I think one of the reasons we don't want to deal with changes and, and why we don't want to do God's way and follow his way is because it looks hard. And I think, I don't want to do hard, right? I don't want to do not fun. And yet there's joy here. The baby leaped in the womb for joy, verse 44. In the Magnificat, verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, this joy. They re, we see in our passage this morning in 58, it says the Lord has shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. We see Zechariah, when he gets his tongue again, he's blessing God. We see the, uh, uh, in uh, Christmas Eve, the passage we're going to be looking at there, fear not for I bring you good news of great joy, great joy. You see joy all through these passages, blessing, worship, serving the Lord, anticipating his way, choosing his way, and then actually serving him and choosing to act based on his way has great joy involved in it. And I think we miss it. We miss the joy of the Christian life. And so people see us as, as Christians who've been weaned on a dill pickle and wonder why we're not so more joyful, more happy, and they go, I don't want a part of that. And I don't blame them. Because I think if we lived in anticipation, watching the hand of God, we would be just as stirred, and people who watch our lives will be just as stirred as I am and as some of you are when you hear about these Christians in China excited that they can share the gospel without being recognized. Like, Wow. What is it that God has here for us? We need to be looking for his hand. Just like they were looking for, the hand of the Lord was with him. Well, let's look at the passage. He, go, he starts in verse 57. 
And it says, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. Now we're reading it in a cold month, but this was actually happened in a warm month. This happened in, in the summer before. It happened six months before we know that their, their pregnancies were, were just a little bit apart uh, uh, by uh, actually three months. Because uh, uh, in the, uh, no, it was six months. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. And so we know that was the sixth month of, of uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy. So six months apart. And we see this going back and forth in Luke between John the Baptist. Then it talks about Jesus. Then John the Baptist and talks about Jesus. So we're, we're in the John the Baptist part. It says, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And I want to stop right there on that phrase. I think one of the reasons we don't anticipate God more is because we take credit where God deserves it. I heard somebody recently say, why, why do we give credit to God for stuff that we do? I went, whoa. Wow. No one, if people are thinking that, that's why they don't give God credit. It's why they don't see God's hand at work. And I think, how many of us might do that? How many of us, maybe we wouldn't actually say it that way, but we kind of do that way. And I started thinking, well, my, I only exist because of God. I only am able to stand here before you because of God. I have a nephew, Tyler, who's learning to walk again. Because he was hit by a car a few weeks ago. In his car, he was hit, T-boned, shoved his car into a pole, broke his back in several places, had to be put out just to fix the lacerations inside his mouth and on his head. He had so many. And now he's got a plate in his back to stabilize his back. And we were cheering when we heard that he took five steps with a walker. Who's, who's in control of my health? He is. I only stand before you because of him. And, we, and I take credit for stuff only on those two issues. I mean, everything that I do, everything I accomplish in my life, any decision that I make is, has, has his hand all over it. But if I miss those points and I only see what I'm doing and I don't see what he's doing, then I end up taking credit for it. They knew God had done this thing. They knew she was past childbearing years and gave birth to a child. Wow. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. So that's, that's important. That's the tradition, right? That's the thing that was going to change. Can you imagine being in that family and saying, hey, his name's going to be Zechariah, right? That's the family name. And you go, nope. What? What are you going to name him? John? Nobody's been named John in the family. Why would you do that? I mean, that's what they, he goes on to say. They came, uh, it says, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father. What? Couldn't they just speak to him? You know, the word that says that he couldn't speak may also imply that he was deaf. If, he, if they had to make signs to him, he may have been deaf as well, inquiring as to what he wanted to be called. In other words, Mom, you're out. Uh, you're, you're saying, John, we, don't re we reject that. 
Dad, what do you think? And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. <laughs> they were together on this. But here's the interesting thing. Usually you would name your child on the day they're born. This is eight days later at circumcision. And I read several commentators scratching their heads basically saying, we don't know why they waited eight days to name the child. They said maybe they're following, you know, a cultural tradition of the Greeks or maybe, you know, they had all these different suggestions. And, and, uh, and as I was thinking about it, I thought, well, maybe he's still struggling with naming him John. And he's feeling the pressure and he's feeling this sense of, if I do this, this is so out of the ordinary. And if I do this, this is going to be a huge change. And, and I'm not sure I want to do this. And, and he's struggling with this thing. And yet he and his wife together decided to take this step of faith and to change the ordinary and go to the extraordinary in a very simple thing, go against family, which Jesus said, that's going to happen when we walk the Christian life. And God blessed him. It says, and they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke blessing God. He'd had nine months to think about what he was going to say. <laughs> and it was blessing. I have a feeling, I wonder if the first, if he, he would have gotten a, a loose tongue maybe a, a few weeks in, if it would have been blessing. I don't know. I'd love to ask him someday. But he blessed God. And it says, and fear came upon all the neighbors. And some versions translated awe. It says, fear of the Lord came upon them. This fear of God, this, this awe of God, of God, you've done something incredible here. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. Evangelism hit the streets. Everybody's talking about it. And as we looked at the map last time, we know that's talking about this area right in here. Ein Karim is, is a traditional place of, uh, if you were to go to Israel today, they would say, oh yeah, it happened here. We don't know. Scripture text doesn't tell us. We do know from the scriptural texts that it was in here, because this is the hill country of Judea. It's desert here. This is sea. That's Dead Sea, or that's, uh, this is a uh, uh, beachfront property. Uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, all desert. Uh, and Dead Sea, and so we know it's right in this area, right near Bethlehem. In fact, I've stood at Bethlehem on a place called Her the Herodium, built by Herod the Great, and, and looked south, and you look south, all you see is desert from Bethlehem. And so you know it was in this area somewhere. There's not much room, wiggle room for that. And here they are, witnessing God's work, what God has done. And it's going into the palace. It's going into the temple. It's going into the eventual birthplace of Jesus. People know something special has happened. And they don't know what. What then will this child be? Wait a minute. Isn't he going to be a priest? Line of Aaron, line of Aaron, priest, right? But we find out from Zechariah, no prophet. And a prophet that's going to live in the desert, we find out as well. 
It says, and his father Zechariah, verse 67, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. And so here he is, the Spirit of God. And you see that through, through uh, the whole Gospel of Luke. In fact, I encourage you again, read the Gospel of Luke. Get your focus for this next year on Jesus. Because we're not going to know his way if we don't take and read what he wants us to do. And he explains his way. This is the way that we need to walk in. And we're going to have the world around us saying, this is the way, walk in it. No, don't do that. This is the way. Jesus is the way. And if we get our focus on him and we take one long look at Jesus, it's going to change the way we look at this next year. And so I want us to do that. As a church family, I want us to see differently It says, blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. I want to stop there because what we find is uh, there are four pictures in in Zechariah's song. And this first one is, and you you said, wait a minute, I didn't see the word prison there. Let's look at it, it's there. So in the word redemption, he visited and redeemed his people. The word redemption means to set free by paying a price. So you, set, you open a prison door. We are in prison as a people uh, 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 when we first come in. And, and, and you see, Israel was in a prison. That prison was the law. That prison was sin. And they were locked in. They could not keep the law perfectly. They all fell short. And they needed somebody to set them free. Jesus is the one who sets us free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Who is the truth? Jesus. We know Jesus. We're set free. We are set free from the law of sin and death, Paul tells us in Romans uh, chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so that holds us as prisoners to our sin, and Jesus Christ came to set us free. And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's he talking about here? You'd think he would start talking about John, his baby that was just born, right? I mean, whenever you have a baby born in your household or a grandkid born in your household, where do you put the picture? You used to put it on the refrigerator, right? Or on a mantle or something. Now you put it on Facebook or on Instagram. Or I mean, it goes out to everybody in the world. We have a new boy. A baby boy has been born in this home, right? You're all excited. So you'd think that he would start out this song talking about his new baby boy. He's talking about Jesus. He doesn't talk about his baby boy until verse 76. And you, child, will be called. What? So that would be like me having a, a new baby in my home. And I get on Facebook and I say, you know what I'm really excited about? And I show you a sonogram of a baby that's going to be born six months later. This, is, this kid is exciting. Oh, and there's also my, my son's picture. You, go, you, you would think we were insane if we did that. Now we're talking about somebody else's kid first. And that's what he does. He talks about Jesus first. Why? Because he knows that his kid is coming along to point to Jesus. That's his whole purpose in life. That he's going to prepare the way of this Savior that's to come. And so everything that Israel's been praying for is for Jesus to come. And his son is going to focus on that. He gives a second picture. The second picture is winning a battle. 
In verse 69 it says, And he raised up a horn of salvation. That word horn is what gives you the clue as to, to this picture of this battle. They would have seen battle. We, we just see horn. We think about, you know, a band. You know, so we don't think much, right? We just think somebody with a trumpet in a band that just kind of walks around and we think, oh, they're horn. No, it's the horn of an animal. And say, oh, okay, defensive and, and maybe attacks, you know, and so we think of a zoo. But they're thinking of this animal in the wild that is defending itself and attacking, and they're also thinking of somebody blowing a horn before battle to lead the troops into battle. So it's this picture of a warrior. And it says, and he's raised up this warrior of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. In other words, he's talking about Jesus being of the line of David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. So the scriptures are pointing to David. And so you see all these different passages where he's talking about the, uh, referring to the Old Testament promises. That we would be safe from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us to show mercy promised to our fathers. In fact, it's interesting how many times he says, has the little preposition to. It's to show mercy, to remember his covenant, to rescue us from our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear, to prepare the way for him, to give knowledge of salvation, to shine on those living in darkness, to guide our feet in the paths of peace and all these things that he has in this song of what he wants us to focus on and what he wants us to look at and it's this idea it starts out when he's talking about to win a battle to show mercy promised to our fathers pointed so back again to the scriptures and to remember his holy covenant which covenant is he talking about which holy covenant the law or the one that replaced the law, the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 that Jesus talks about at the, at the Last Supper when he says, my blood, is a, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. I think he's focused on that. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham, Genesis 12, where he says, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. How? Through a Messiah who's going to come and not only bless the nation, not only bless your children, but bless the entire world. That we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And so that idea that we begin to live for the Lord, that people whose, whose lives have been transformed and been blessed by God because of the new covenant are going to live differently serving him choosing his way this is the way that we walk in it and then he says the third picture and you child will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go to prepare uh, before the lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and so that you understand it's not by the law it's by grace it's not impersonal it's personal it's not just following a list of rules it's becoming related to the god of the universe through jesus in the forgiveness of sins. And that's the idea. That idea of forgiveness is canceling a debt. And that's the third picture. And then the fourth picture is found in uh, verse 78. Because in the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. The dawn of a new day. Sunrise coming up. And visit us. And in fact, it's a strong picture uh, when it has this word, the sunrise visiting us. Because earlier it says, for he has visited us. Up in verse 68. 
And it bookends this idea of visitation, and yet it has this idea of the dawn of a new day. What is the dawn of the new day? Something's going to be different. There's going to be change afoot. Change is coming is what Zechariah is saying, and he's telling us to embrace it and to, to serve the Lord in the midst of it and to embrace what God is doing. It doesn't mean we need to embrace every single thing that's gone on this last year and say, oh, yeah, I believe in this and hold that. It may, may not be that great. It may not be something we want to hold on to. May be wrong, may be sinful, but we embrace what God is doing. What is it that God is doing? Where is the hand of God at work? And am I willing to not only anticipate it and look forward to 2021 and say, God, you're going to do something neat in this year, and it's going to be different, and it's going to be new, and there's going to be things I hate about it, I'm not going to like about it, but I love you, and I choose you, and I choose your way. but we see it as the dawn of a new day. We see it in the guise of joy, that there's going to be joy in the midst of it. It's not just going to be hard. Yeah, there's going to be some hard things. We grow most, unfortunately, during painful times of our lives, not during the easy times. And so there's going to be some things. But what is it going to bring to our world to give light to those who sit in darkness? Friends, we have some people in, in our world that are living in darkness, and they need to see the light. And they're not going to see it by me coming at them and getting in their face and telling them where they're coming up short and, and responding to them on Facebook in hang, angry ways. Uh, I started to say hangry ways, those ways either. <laughs> but that we, that we come to them with the joy of the Lord, with the dawn of a new day approaching, knowing Something exciting is about to happen. God is about to work. Anytime we see change coming about, we know God's getting ready to do something pretty cool. And I'm not going to like some of it, but there's going to be some of it that's, that's exciting off the charts. And so I want us, as a body of Christ, to anticipate what God's going to do. Look forward to his hand at work, and he will show us his hand if he knows that we're going to choose him and we're going to choose his way. Otherwise, why would he want to show it to us? Because we would just despise it. And Jesus said, don't throw your pearls before swine. He wouldn't do it either. And I don't want to be the swine that he's talking about. I want to be someone who's excited about what he's going to do. And then I trust him. And I respond to him. And I want us to be that as a church family. That we become a light in a dark world that desperately needs Jesus and people will see things in our lives. They go, I want some of that. I don't know where they get it. I don't know how they get it. I'm not sure I believe in all the things they believe in, but I want what they got. And they begin to hang around us because they want to figure it out. That's how I came to Christ. It wasn't because of great arguments that people gave me and said, oh, well, here's the 45 reasons why you should accept Jesus. It's because I, I started meeting these guys that were believers in Christ that had something special in their lives and I couldn't explain it away and I didn't know what it was and I wanted some of what they had. And so I started hanging around them and I began to find out that it was everything that they shared in common or the things that they shared in common with their love for Jesus. And I was drawn to Jesus because of the love of Christ. And I can give you all sorts of arguments for the resurrection and everything else. But bottom line is people don't want our arguments. They want to see the reality. 
And if we don't believe it enough to live it out in our lives and we're only choosing Jesus but not his way, then that's what we're saying to our world. And they're going to only see darkness in us too. I want them to see light. And the way they're going to see light is that we live in the light. And the way they're going to see Jesus is that we begin to live Jesus to them. As best we can, as broken as we can, uh, uh, by his power, they're going to see something supernatural happening in our lives. They're going to see a supernatural impact on our lives, and they're going to be going, I want some of that. And so when we look at this beautiful picture, this beautiful song, and we live in the light, we're going to live by peace. It says to guide our feet in the way of peace. This is the way. Peace. This is the way. Light. Mercy. Forgiveness of sins. Serving him without fear and holiness and righteousness all our days. And we're going to see a world who's interested. That's how he prepared their hearts was he lived according to this song of his father. He lived according to the song of his heavenly father, the scriptures. And that's why we need to spend time in the word. We need to spend time in the gospel of Luke and get our hearts full, drink our fill of Jesus. And then we're going to have a world that's going to see us satisfied and full and joyful when they're not. And they're going to want some of that. Father, we come to you today. And we thank you that Jesus came. To give us joy. To demonstrate your love. To help us to experience your mercy when we feel guilty like crazy. And to know that you... Look at us. And you say, I've got it taken care of. Don't worry, my child. You have my mercy. Lord, we don't deserve it and we know that. And so we come to you and we are so thankful. That you love us. Enough. To send Jesus for us. Emmanuel, God with us. You weren't embarrassed to hang around us. And you hung around the worst of us. You saw it all. And you knew it all before you came. But we didn't know that until you came. So his coming was to communicate your love to us in a way that we could understand. Thank you for that. Lord, help us to look for your hand at work. Help us to choose you. Help us to choose your way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.